Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Peter. And we are parents of two children, Alberto and Rosina. Each week, we sit down together and chat about the reality of raising children. So, if you're a new parent, expecting or just want to see what it's all about, this is the place for you. This, this is, is The, the Parent Sesh. of the Parent Sesh podcast. How exciting. I'm Episode ver- one. I'm very excited. And Me too. if you haven't already, please go back and listen to the introductory episode. It sort of just talks about who we are as people, our journey to get here and why we're actually doing this podcast at all. Yes. And also our beautiful children. It talks about <laughs> them as well. But yes. just to recap on who we are, my name is Daniel. And I'm Peter. And we will be your hosts of the Parent Sesh podcast. And today's episode is a bit of a close one to our hearts. It's yeah. it's all about hyperemesis gravidarum. Also known as HG. For those people who can't pronounce it, that is the way <laughs> that is the way you go. And what we really want to discuss is our journey with it because it was something that impacted our second pregnancy. And, and not our first. Not our first. Yeah. So we obviously weren't expecting it. So we just really want to talk through about our journey with it and how it really impacted our lives, not just as it was happening, but also, I guess, post hyperemesis as well. But yeah. before we really get into the heavy, serious stuff that is HG... Every week when we bring you a new episode, we're just going to reflect on the week that just happened. Because as you know, as parents, things happen in a week. A lot can happen a a week. A lot can happen a week. From the beautiful, absolutely ridiculously sublime moments that you can have from your child coming home and learning a new word or... That's right. Spelling their name for the first time. Absolutely. Learning to walk and taking those first precious few steps telling you they miss you there's just some moments in there that are just fabulous to the downright ridiculous (laughs) to the things you just do not expect and we had one of those happen this week yes with our son alberto yeah so let me set the scene for you alberto's four and a half he's four and a half and i just going to school yep i just dropped him to kindy in the morning about eight o'clock and then I drove to Brisbane to work for the day. This was Monday, start of the week, start of a <laughs> fresh week. We're coming in with so much energy after the weekend and it gets to around about 10 a.m. Mid-morning. Yep. Coasting, had a, had a meeting at work, had a, had a nice chat with co-workers catching up and then I get a phone call from Alberto's school and it's the centre manager who is saying, oh, Alberto's quite upset with himself and I'm really puzzling. I'm like, oh no. What could this be? What could this be? Look, initially when I saw them ringing, I thought it was that he'd forgotten his show and tell toy that he was going to take. Yep. And, oh, that's an easy fix. We've all been there. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we've all been at the stage where you forget the theme of the day for kindy. And no, it wasn't that. She then proceeded quite calmly, I must say, for this, for what it was. Alberto swallowed a little glass stone. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, he's just a bit upset. He swallowed a glass stone. Probably best to come get him. You need to come and get him. (laughs) I'm freaking out. Being in Brisbane an hour away and not being able to go and do anything about it, I call you. Yeah. And then you take over and you go and pick him up. Yes, yes. And when I get there, everything's fine through the reception area. I walk into his uh, room for the day and the teachers then proceed to tell me that he swallowed a glass crystal. They have a second crystal uh, in their possession that they can give us to take with us to see a GP or uh, a doctor of some kind. Some medical professional. (laughs) Someone that can help us in this scenario. And basically they just said that he's approached them and said, I've swallowed a toy was his explanation. (laughs) (laughs) Alarm bells should ring at that point. Very hysterically. So a lot of shortness of breath, a lot of uh, unable to comprehend what he's saying. And they weren't quite sure exactly how it was swallowed, whether it had somehow gone down the airway, whether it's actually just gone down into his stomach. So we need to go and get that looked at. I should commend him, to be honest, because as a four-year-old, when you do something you know is wrong, to then front up and admit it and tell an adult about it, that's pretty good. Yeah. So we're glad that he's done that at yes. least. Yes. Uh, so just to set the scene, the crystal is about a size of a 10 cent, 10 cent piece. It is one of those crystals that is a... Uh, smooth and flat. Smooth, smooth and flat. Smooth and round, sort of like a, I don't know, thing you'd put at maybe the bottom of an aquarium. Yeah, yeah. It's dome, a dome shape. Flat on the bottom. Yeah. And blue, if blue, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> You're really picturing it now, I can tell. So anyway, I'm speeding... Within the law, <laughs> down the motorway to get back from Just Brisbane rushing. to the emergency room where uh, Peter is taking him, and by the time I get there, they're already they've already been there maybe ten minutes, and as you know with emergency room procedures at the moment, uh, you have to explain why you're there, do your sign in, wear a, get a mask from uh, the people letting you in. And they asked me, oh, why are you here? Are you here to see a doctor? I said, no, my son has swallowed something. I'm here to join up with them. Oh, your son swallowed the crystal. (laughs) Very proud moment. I was going to say, it turns out he was very proud of himself and was telling everybody there that he swallowed a crystal. And at that point, I really wanted to say, oh, that's that's not him. (laughs) It's just my child's got a run-of-the-mill normal sickness that uh, I've come to see. So anyway, we go in. Very quickly, we got seen, to be honest, which was nice. Yes, we did have to go in for an x-ray just to make sure that it was in an optimum location, And it was. We got to see it, you know, it was lit up on the x-ray and there it was, right sort of at the top of the stomach, at the bottom of the chest, on its way down. The doctor afterwards told us it's going to safely pass through. Yeah. And I said, do I I have to check? (laughs) He said, do you want to check? And no. no, 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 I don't. And then for the rest of the week, Alberto's just been saying, I've passed my crystal. I've got my crystal gone. Yeah. And he's now, he's fine. So look, these just are the one things, of those things. One of those things that happen as parents, like you don't see them coming. And at the end of the day, it's just about preparing for the unexpected, which is kind of what this episode's going to be about. So yeah. Let's take a short break and we'll come back and let's talk all about hyperemesis. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, welcome back to our very first episode of The Parent Sesh. And today's topic is a heavy one in a sense. We'll try and keep it light because we're fun. That's what we're all about. That's what we're all about. Uh, But this is a topic that not everyone speaks about a lot and there's not a lot of awareness around what this condition and disease actually is. So hyperemesis is something that uh, can be really debilitating and you just don't see it coming. And we were in that same boat because we actually had such a different plan for this pregnancy because the events of the first one, you know. I guess it would come under that uh, traumatic category for uh, our pregnancy and labor and delivery yes absolutely and i think off the back of that you really went into research mode about i did what can be different for the second one i wanted to feel empowered and i wanted to feel like i can understand what my body is going through and just things that you can do to make your life more comfortable and more uh in your control i guess and in doing so you listened to countless podcasts shout out to australian birth stories because i think you listen to every single one every single episode i'm sure i did i know i i heard a lot of them and something that really opened my eyes from just listening to those was the vast amounts of different types of births and pregnancies women can have yes also just something to note is that there weren't very many episodes on anything to do with hyperemesis i still at the point as researched and as knowledgeable as i was before proceeding into the second pregnancy i still had not heard of this condition in a very uh vast way i heard maybe a couple of things about it and just didn't didn't relate it to something that could happen to me well, it happened. <laughs> it did happen. <laughs> but we did lived through it. Our plan was different. So why don't you tell us or the listeners a little bit about what your actual vision for what this pregnancy should have been was? I guess going into this second pregnancy, my main goal was to have a home birth. It was really, really focused around having a little bit more control, a little bit more of a holistic approach. I didn't want very many interventions at all during my labor and delivery. And I wanted to feel like my baby was coming into my arms. That was really the goal. And I just remember feeling a part of that and wanting that for you. Yeah. I wanted you to dictate on your terms what this delivery and pregnancy was going to be yeah because i just remember you wanting to be in control of what you put in your body food wise yeah how you exercise throughout your pregnancy and just how you were you could just flow through it really organically definitely having a variety of food definitely having a variety of movements i wanted to do you know prenatal yoga i wanted to walk a lot and just be very active throughout this pregnancy and unfortunately with my condition that did not happen for me (laughs) and for those who are wondering well what in the heck is hyperemesis gravidarum strap yourself in because in the simplest terms it just is morning sickness on steroids and 
that is probably undervaluing it in terms of what it does on its own, isn't it? Yeah, I think that HG causes a lot of issues for the pregnant person. So basically because you have extreme bouts of nausea, vomiting, uh, dizziness, faintness, headaches, tiredness, fatigue, uh, body aches, all of those things, like it comes with it with dehydration, malnutrition, vitamin deficiencies, just a lot of different things that can happen that cause ongoing effects for your body. Because effectively you can't eat the way you want to eat. You can't drink water the way you want to drink water. I really struggled drinking water throughout my entire entire pregnancy. It felt very (laughs) gluggy, metallic. It didn't feel nice to drink. As soon as it would hit my stomach, it'd want to come back up. Water was a very, very big issue in my pregnancy. And I suppose, you know, we've covered the layman's terms of what HG is. But realistically, it's like a hormone imbalance. It's like some sort of hormone that gets gets raised up above the rest of it. And I'm not a doctor, so I can't really speak to exactly how it works. And to be honest, what we found is not a lot of them really could. No, it's very... Uh, every. I think that the issue is that every person's hyperemesis gravidarum journey is different. Yes. I don't think anyone suffers the exact same symptoms in the exact same way. There's like a mild hyperemesis and then there's all the way through to severe. And mm-hmm. every single one of those though has a real big impact on a life. And I guess we should talk about and have the listeners hear your side of what it was like living with hyperemesis on a daily basis. Like what was your day from barely being able to sleep at night yeah. and having to wake up from that to barely being able to fall asleep without some sort of help? What was it like throughout that throughout that journey? Oh, well, I guess, yeah, your day starts waking up feeling extremely fatigued. You haven't slept. I hadn't slept uh, very well the night before. Uh, so I had extreme bouts of insomnia in some, some cases. Uh, some days I couldn't sleep at all. And so in the morning you wake up and I guess the first thought you have is, oh, I feel very tired. And then the next thought is, do I need to be sick? Um, and yeah, it's deciding, do I get up and have a shower? Can I get up today? Can I sit up in this bed without feeling faint, without needing to vomit, without, uh, feeling just completely debilitated. So I think that was, yeah, most of my mornings was trying to plan what the next five minutes looks like. And then it comes to a point where you've got to decide on food and if you can eat, what you can eat, how much you can consume. And yeah, every day looked different, unfortunately, in that aspect. I never had really two days that were the same. I did find patches of time where I was able to eat one particular food item. Uh, McChicken! <laughs> one of the high, the standouts, I think, was <laughs> McChicken from McDonald's, like a McChicken burger. And it's not something I would normally eat. I, we're definitely not really fast food people. We don't uh, purchase it frequently. So for me, it was just a very bizarre um, craving, would you say? Or I, I wouldn't call it a craving. I would say through trial and error, 
it was finding foods that you could keep down. Yeah. And if you remember, before we settled on McChicken, because it kind of resembled a food you were eating, which my mama think had made some chicken gutelettes, which are like Italian version of chicken schnitzel. Very thin. Uh, dry, I dry, guess, in a way. Breadcrumbed chicken, right? Yep. And Obviously, you can make it tastier. Yeah. For me, it was very It was bland. a bread roll with a piece of chicken in it. Yeah. But once those ran out, what's the substitute? And our mind sort of led to McChicken. And it didn't last forever. No. But it was just a small window of what... Something that I could consume that didn't feel horrible in the moment and then didn't have lasting effect feeling horrible hours after yeah and i think something that i would notice when you ate the wrong food yeah your journey then in that day would be fighting back having to throw up yeah and i just remember saying very unsuccessfully a lot of the time um, i just remember saying early on i just remember saying to you let it out yeah and you got yourself to a point where you didn't want to do that anymore it was so painful my teeth Oh my goodness, my teeth. I had so many issues um, with my teeth during that time because of how much was not rotted away, but how much um, deficiency I had. That's right. And you'd had bile passing through Mm -hmm. your your teeth as well. And that's not good. Yeah. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's not meant to be there. (laughs) (laughs) That's not meant to happen. Um, yeah. So there was just so many factors, like it was physically painful to vomit up. Then I also had that guilt in my mind of, I haven't eaten today and all I've done is vomit. How is my baby getting its nutrition or how am I getting my nutrition if the baby is somehow getting something from me? So, um, yeah, it, uh, comes with a lot of mind uh, circles and yeah, control trying to get that in a, in an okay place. Because I think one of the biggest symptoms or one of the biggest things that happens when people have HG is prenatal depression because you're going through such a drastic change and you physically aren't able to do the things you were able to do. And you're also really, really isolated. You are. Because you're in bed with the blind shut and the door closed. Yeah. Suffering headaches and nausea and uh, it's hard to hold a conversation. Your brain can become so fuzzy and so foggy that you don't know how to respond to people. I found that from my side, watching our interactions change because you just were not able to give me what you were able to give me before. Yeah. And it was a tough process to sort of witness that. Like I watched you have good days. Like I think just before Christmas you had, you woke up, you bounced out of bed and you walked in. You were only nine weeks pregnant at this point. Yeah. So we were probably what, three weeks into my HG journey being told by uh, health professionals that, oh, this will only last until about 12 weeks and then you'll have the second trimester at least, hopefully the third as well, where you're uh, nauseous free. And we thought at that nine week mark when you were good for that one day that we were out of it. Because it was at that point, it was three weeks, just relentless in bed, mm-hmm. couldn't move, couldn't vo- celebrate vomiting. my birthday. That's right, we had to cancel <laughs> your birthday celebrations. Yes, but then after the literally the next day, 
after that good day, it was straight back to the way it was. Yeah. And then it pretty much stayed like that until the day Racina was born. And that's a very long time. Yeah. And I don't know how you did it, but you did. And Well, realistically, if you think about it, it's about 30, 31 weeks. Straight. Yeah. Of just pain. Yeah. (laughs) Pain and torture. And the reality of living with it is not something I think anyone deserves to endure. But if you are going through it, you should just know that there is a light that gets you to the end of the tunnel. It's just a really, really far away light. (laughs) It's a really dim light. Yeah. It's a really dim light. And the thing I think some people maybe don't consider with HG is that there are two sides to it. And in our situation in particular, there was maybe another side on top of my side. Yeah. Because we had a child. We had a three, almost three-year-old son yeah. who was, who just made the transition to his big boy bed. Yeah. Like, he was on the verge of in starting kindy. Room. On yeah. the verge of starting kindy. He was, you know, reading to us. He was really starting to come into his own and all of a sudden he got cut down from being parented by two parents to one and that journey was difficult so let's take a break and when we come back we're going to look at it from how it was from mine and Alberto's side. Okay, welcome back from the break. And we've covered your journey. Yeah. We've spoken about, I mean, it's hard to cover nine months of torture in 10 minutes, but I feel in some ways we've conveyed that it's not just morning sickness. No, it's not. And your journey was incredibly difficult for so many reasons, but there was another side. Yeah, there's a whole other aspect to this one and if we didn't have alberto it still would have been hard yeah but it would have been more manageable for my sake because i didn't have to worry about the crucial year of our child yeah but i did i did have to worry about that and i think for the most part we survived it but we all 100% went into survival mode. Yes. Like you think, how does a child go into that mode? But these extreme circumstances just prove that we all have the ability to just almost switch off and just survive. We, we basically found a way of doing the minimum to get by. And that was in everything. I, I think, I think about when, I had to get him to go to sleep. It was doing the least amount possible in the quickest amount of time to get him just to go to bed. Because by that point I'd been up, you know, he wasn't quite toilet trained yet. So I was up with him in the morning changing nappies. I was up with him. Yeah. He was still in a nappy overnight. Yes. And, um, it was not fun. (laughs) (laughs) That was, that was not a fun time. And I think I remember being part of trying to make him toilet trained and I just got frustrated and impatient. And yeah. that was pretty much 
my unfortunate mantra for like the nine months was just impatience. The, at the end of the day, you were working full-time. You were a full-time nurse in a way. And then, yeah, you were a full-time single parent. Yeah, it's pretty much how it was. And there was a certain point throughout the journey where I was working from home because COVID was still kind of a thing. Yeah. Still is a thing, I guess. I don't know. And my work were talking about bringing people back to the office. And I really went into panic mode because I already was co- wasn't coping with working from home and raising Alberto and looking after you. But then I had to think about the prospect of doing it from my office an hour away just was too much. So to my work's credit, we really came to an agreement and they allowed me to continue working from home whilst you were pregnant. Mm -hmm. And they also helped me out with sort of a reduction in hours and sort of allowed me to use leave to make up the gap every week. Yeah. So my week looked pretty crazy. I think originally Alberto, when we first signed him up to kindy, it was one day a week. Yeah. Monday. Well, up until that point, up until he was three year, three years old, the he goal. Hadn't gone. Yeah, he he hadn't gone. He was home with me. We were doing our thing. We were setting routines and and bonding together. Yeah. And you were in the office. I was at so. the office, and it kind of all changed when COVID hit, and then also even more so when you got sick. Yeah. So it quickly went to two days because I needed him in there that extra day because I just I couldn't handle him being at home while I was trying to work. He was very demanding and that's fine. He's, he was. It's perfectly normal before, for his he age. He was three years old, right? Yeah, was no problem. absolutely. But I couldn't deal with it. So I had a system going and two days at, at kindy, uh, one day at my parents, Thursday, your grandmother came in the morning to watch him for a couple of hours. Then I had to take the afternoon off and find something to do with him. And then Friday, your mum had him for the morning. And again, I'd take the afternoon off, find something to do with him. And that was a system that worked for Alberto. It still didn't really work for me because... There was no self-care. There was no self-care. There was no time off. No. And I found the path of least resistance for everything. That could be getting him to have a bath. I would put him in the bath. And he would be like, play with me, play with me. I'm like, no, bath's over, let's get out. It would be putting him to bed. He used to read me three stories a night. He used to read to me when he was just almost before he was three. And then I went to reading the shortest story possible just to fill that, tick that box so he would go to sleep. I would make him food that was just quick, easy. I knew he would eat it. If he threw up a fight... He would get away with it because I just needed him to cooperate. And then I would butt heads with him. My, my patience really wore thin in so many different situations. It was just a really tough moment. You couple that with the things I had to look after you with, like mm-hmm. I had to accompany you to appointments. I had to bring you food. I had to uh, massage your back just to help you get to sleep. I think one of the biggest mental strategies that I was able to come up with during that time was one 
deep breaths and de-stressor breaths, uh, which is basically you breathe in for four and you breathe out for six seconds and doing that 10 times in a row. And that would sort of stabilize my elevated moments of nausea to a level that could then become more manageable and not just need to go and immediately throw up. The second thing was light touch massage. And that is traditionally used during labor to counteract this severe pain that someone's going through and draw your mind away from that into this light, gentle massage. So we ended up using that throughout my HG um, experience. Every day. Every day. (laughs) Several times a day sometimes if you needed to have a nap. During really, really extreme bouts of nausea because I was just in such a place where I was like, I can't throw up this minimal food that I've eaten. I can't deprive my health or my baby's health um, from this tiny, minute bit of nutrition. And there wasn't a nurse coming to do that. No. There wasn't, you know, overnight stays in the hospital to allow that to happen. That was me doing that. That was tooting my own horn. (laughs) 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 Well, us working together. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I just, I think it did wear me down quite a lot. And like you said, the self-care went out the window. Yeah. when When I would bring you my chickens, I was bringing myself home a Big Mac and a cheeseburger with chips, nuggets, drink, McFlurry. Can't forget the McFlurry, right? But that was just what I was trying to do to cope was to eat. And I think... The the hard thing is that you weren't in a place where you've been taught how to cook or taught all these varieties of recipes and things. That was really my role. Uh, So that was just another another layer. I did... To, to my credit, I did learn a couple of things. Yes. I made a, a good pasta sauce, which I'm now proficient at. Go me. Yeah. And I also know how to boil pasta and put pesto in it. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> right? Incredible. And that was effectively what I was doing with Alberto for most of the time. It was either that or Cruskets. And because he loved Cruskets. He still loves Cruskets. Yeah. Just plain with butter. But like it, went from, it went from that being like a side with his main meal to being the main meal because it was just, I could put some butter on this. He can sit down at the table and, and be quiet and eat it. what he asked for. That's right. Um, yeah. So supporting not just Alberto, but you meant taking you places. And a lot of the places I had to take you were either midwife appointments or to the hospital. And I got to see a whole side of the medical system where they didn't really know what to do. Yeah. And I still don't think they know what to do with HG. Mm -hmm. And from what I saw, it was a lot of them trying to figure out which box to put you in. Yeah. Because let's like, if we're being perfectly honest, and this is credit to the medical system, they know what they're doing with conventional pregnancies. Yeah. They're absolutely set up and geared. Streamlined. For conventional pregnancies or like certain conditions that, are very like nailed on know what they're doing with it same symptoms same presentation yes which is universal in a lot of pregnancies yeah hg however is just not one of those no and they weren't ready for that that's right well with this pregnancy um as i said at the start we were really i was really interested and keen to have a home birth uh with 
the feedback from our friends and family close to us and 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 your feedback as well we ended up deciding to go through the mgp which is the midwifery group practice and basically that just means that instead of seeing an obstetrician you would see a midwife and midwives are generally the person the people that are going to be there for the majority of your labor anyway regardless of if you go through a private obstetrician or you go through the hospital system it's always going to be a midwife This um, program allows you to see the same midwife for your entire pregnancy and hopefully throughout your labor and birth uh, in the hospital. So we ended up going through that program. It is quite an exclusive program. It's a little bit hard to get into. And when the morning sickness because HG can't be diagnosed until beyond the 12 weeks, usually around 14 weeks, they would diagnose it as hyperomiscus gravidarum. HG, you struggled HG there. struggled. <laughs> Up until about that 14 week mark, it was basically, it's morning sickness, it'll pass. Once you get through that first trimester, it's going to be a normal pregnancy going forward as in you know your second trimester is generally the easiest trimester and so on and so forth i remember we were really worried that we wouldn't get in or that they were going to not let us continue in the program yes it came to a point where it was a question the midwife had to go and seek other professionals so obstetricians and other people within the hospital system to determine whether i still met the very uh, small spectrum of what they can manage in, within their team and whether I needed to go into more uh, specialized field of like going under an obstetrician or not. They did end up deciding that I should stay within the midwifery group practice, basically based on the first pregnancy trauma, uh, I guess they would call it trauma, from my first labor and birth. That's another story. <laughs> Let's yeah. get that one. But from what ended up happening was we would just get handballed from yeah. professional to professional. And, and each one of them still, had different. Yeah, still not get any information. And each one of them had different ways of dealing with it mm-hmm. or different things or tactics to try and do. And A lot of it medicine-based. Yep. A lot of Take it. Take this pill yes. to deal with the depression from, that comes from being isolated. Yeah. yeah. Take, take this like I, I remember it was later on we were sitting there and you got a script about I got eight six. different scripts or yeah. six different scripts yeah. from a doctor just telling you to take all these Try to deal this with, with this. this and this with that and we didn't do any of it no because we've tr- it was half of them we tried already yeah and the other half we weren't explained any side effects or what it would do it was just take these and See how you go. See how it goes. It's and it wasn't not a tried a and true formula. It was see how you go. Mm-hmm. Like credit to the midwifery program and to Jaya, our midwife. She was yeah. amazing, you know. Yeah. But they still probably weren't geared up in a way that could successfully deal with this type of condition, I would say. I think it got to a point in my pregnancy where it became what's whose health is more important or is she going to is the baby going to be at a place where she can be birthed and healthy and happy and then i can get my health and happiness back you know is my symptoms impacting her and her growth and her um, experience inside and i think that 
what it came to was the specialists at the hospital basically were saying that I didn't have a right as a pregnant person, as a human, like as a woman, as a human, it, they were there for the care of the baby only. And that which, is what they told me. Which astounded me. That made my blood rage because... I think when you're looking at it, for my particular circumstance, our baby was growing uh, in the 97th to 99th percentile during the from about 28 weeks onwards. So her head circumference, her overall body length, her weight, everything was way, way, way over where it should be. And it almost feels impossible because we weren't eating. We weren't drinking water. We weren't having anything to nourish that to to nourish that growth so rapidly and that led to them trying again to put you into another box of convention by trying to diagnose you with gestational diabetes yeah which as but- we know what hyperemesis is it's mm-hmm. not being able to eat and having nausea it felt impossible Yes. That that was going to happen. Also. And it didn't happen. You didn't, you tested yes, negative multiple times. Tested negative. Yet so they this, still, yes. they still maintain that you need to be on, we're going to treat you as if you had it. Yes. Even though the results show. There was show no evidence that you aside didn't. from her being bigger that no yeah. evidence within me. No. Um, and so. I remember you went, you got sent to this group mm-hmm. and the person there told you, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be here. Yeah. You've got high premises. They were giving advice on how to eat, you know, six healthy meals yeah. a day. And <laughs> I was like, I'm lucky if I have one yeah. meal of anything. Of anything. Um, yeah. And I think it all sort of culminated in uh, them not really allowing you to do what you wanted and not prioritizing you, as you said, and prioritizing the baby. And in the end, what they told you wasn't allowed to happen, happened naturally, which was giving birth at 37 weeks and two days. It literally happened on its own. Yeah. To and a perfectly healthy, beautiful. To a perfectly healthy, beautiful little girl. And yeah. to be honest, that whole probably last five weeks of the pregnancy, that's a podcast. That is a journey that we can go through There's a lot. on its own. There's a lot of- Even the day of the birth, that was a mental day. It is. So- what I say to that is if you are interested in finding out any more of those specific details, then just DM us on Instagram, ask me questions. You know, if you send in anything, I'm more than happy to answer. Uh, we just want to know what you would be interested in hearing if, if that's something that interests you. So Also Twitter, at the parent sesh. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we always forget about Twitter. But I think the birth kind of brought us into the next phase of, HG, which was after HG, because yeah. pretty much as soon as Brasina was Earthside, your symptoms disappeared. Your they physical did. symptoms disappeared. Yeah, I was very, very fortunate. I'm not sure if this happens for everyone, but for me, as soon as she came out, I think your body's running off adrenaline, endorphins, all the things that are happening hormonally that just has this major shift. And I was instantly, instantly. <laughs> you were walking. You were yes. in, you were hungry again. You were. I had an appetite. Drinking I water drink like water. it was going out of fashion. And we, yeah, I walked. I had a shower. I didn't get dizzy, which was just something that I hadn't felt for thirty plus weeks. I remember, like, an hour before she was born, 
you tried to have a shower and you couldn't. You were just unable to go and sort of feel the water to try and stop your nausea because you were still so heavily nauseous right up until the moment she was out. Yeah. So life after HG kind of physically was able to treat us well. Yeah. Obviously, the things that happen after HG is the mental side, and that took some time. There are some struggles that come with it because, for me, I was on bed rest basically for 30 weeks, so my muscles deteriorated, my nutrition wasn't there. You know, as I said earlier, my teeth were in a bad state. Um, oh, yeah, I remember we had to go to the dentist to get yeah, some work done. For yeah, that. so there were, there were some things physically, but just the ability to get up and walk was something that was like, oh, you dream about it. Um, so it felt like, wow, I have all this physical freedom and wow, like look at me, I'm moving and I'm up and about and you don't think of all the little things that come along with that, like building back strength, building uh, endurance and just... Building back mental capacity to do things that you yeah, weren't think- able to do for so long, like raising another three-and-a-half-year-old child who's all of a sudden went from being just before t- just before three to three and a half and having him come back and you come back into his life. There were so many things we had to manage then. And bringing a newborn child into his life. Plus we sold a house. So there yeah. was that. There was so much change in such a short amount of time uh, for, for all of us to go through. So I think that this past, like we're 11 months mm-hmm. postpartum, which is amazing. Uh, and I think this past 11 months has really been trying to figure out our new normal and work together and find these new ways to communicate and to be a family, a new family of four. And yeah, I must say that for how difficult the pregnancy was, she has been the best baby. Oh. Just incredibly so in the sense that you just, when you're going through that HG journey, yeah. you you almost feel like, well, how is this baby going to be a good baby? And we were just one of the really fortunate ones that from all the hell that we got, were able to come out of it with this perfect little princess. And I remember being told uh, so much throughout the pregnancy that it'll all be worth I it. I wanted to punch those people <laughs> in the face so many times. It's very hard to believe that. And so then the when it happens, you it's go, true. Yeah, it's true. But yeah. I think at the mo- in the moment, yeah. it feels insensitive to be told that. Yeah. And... We invalidating did, we did feel that because yeah. everyone was just like oh it'll be fine and a little bit of pain now yeah <laughs> and look it's obviously worked out that way but it's just a different uh way of getting there and different way of dealing with it should be not to say that and that probably brings us to some really good tips that we'll have so we're going to take another break and when we come back we're going to wrap up and We're going to give you some of our top tips for dealing with hyperemesis. Okay, welcome back to the first episode of The Parent Sesh, and it's been a big one. Heavy. Heavy. Hopefully lighthearted. Hopefully (laughs) lighthearted heavy. I don't know if that makes sense. 
Because it's not an easy topic. And I think it's something that's close to us. We've had to deal with it and yeah. leave it firsthand. And what we're hoping for is if anyone is going through this same situation, that you can maybe take a little bit of solace in knowing that it's it does end. Yeah. That hyperemesis does come to a conclusion. And the conclusion is giving birth. I think I remember mm. seeing a lot of things where what is a what's the fix to hyperemesis? What's the cure? Mm. Giving birth. <laughs> a hormonal shift. <laughs> yeah. uh, which is generally after birth, yes. Yeah. So outside of that though, living with it, we've come up with our top tip each of what each side of the the road can do to I guess, get through the cope. period, cope with it. Yeah. yeah. So, Peter, what's yours? So, mine, my biggest tip, I guess, is to work on some mental and physical strategies to get through this time. So, some good ones that really, really helped me were, as I said earlier, is the deep breathing. I found those distressor breaths during really heightened parts of nausea to be sometimes and a lot of times what got me through and got me out of needing to actually vomit. Uh, Another thing would be visualizing. I know it sounds silly or it sounds like common sense to some people, but just visualizing what life is going to be like and what I wanted out of my life going forward and how things are going to be different or going to be the same or how I'm going to appreciate things a little bit more and what our daughter is going to look like and how that uh, new dynamic slash cute <laughs> adorable <laughs> um just things like that to get through mentally and then physical strategies as well like I was talking about the light touch massage really really worked for me Uh, personally and just exploring different things, trying different things because you've got all the time in the world in that situation. You're in, I was in bed for 30 weeks. So uh, yeah, that would definitely be my top tip. Yep. Definitely. You got to work at the deep breathing though. It's not just like you do it once. It's yes. it's a, it's a mental game that it's painful. Yeah. It can be very, very painful physically whilst you're doing it. I just kept thinking if I can keep this thing down today, then we'll deal with tomorrow later. Yeah. You know? And by the end, you had it down to a, a science. I think I Doesn't was, mean it was easy. Yeah. I think in the end, I got to vomiting four days out of seven. Oh, <laughs> what a ratio. What Woo. a percentage. Yeah. Celebrate. <laughs> And uh, my tip from my side of the fence is that as the the other parent who is watching your partner go through this, you have to now accept that you are going to be responsible for everything. So doesn't matter what it is. doesn't matter if it's the smallest task, such as going to pick up your child from daycare. Like that may seem like nothing. You're driving in a car, you walk in, you put him in the car, you bring him home. That is still on your shoulders because that is impossible for your partner to complete. Out alongside that, having no expectations of the pregnant partner because if I had any expectations of you to do anything, that would be a huge fault in 
my responsibilities as the other side. I think you'd just end up disappointed. Yeah. And I think with having no expectations, it means that any moments where there is just a moment of joy, a moment of freedom, a moment of like getting out of bed and just sitting on the couch instead of sitting in the bed was then able to be enjoyed and actually embraced as just a moment. There was no pressure on anyone. We could all just sit there together. Especially if that was happened once, there might be this theory that, oh, I can do it again. She can do it again the next day. And you can't have that expectation. So just know, final tip from me is accept you're going to be responsible and don't have any expectations of what your partner is able to do because they're just not going to be able to do anything. (laughs) (laughs) And I think together we have a final tip. And this tip is for friends and family, for people that are like maybe parents of you (laughs) going through (laughs) this stuff. Don't give advice. Just stay out of it. Yeah. (laughs) Keep it to yourself. Oh, just have some ginger. That really helped me with morning sickness. It's not morning sickness. That was uh, really aggressive. But yeah, just don't have that generic advice that... I think that because of how long it lasted, it's one of those things where you think... Don't you think we've Googled this? <laughs> Don't you think we know about the interwebs? Don't you think we've tried ginger, peppermint tea, you know, saladas, like plain basic biscuits? Like we have tried everything. Toast, within, plain toast. You've, you've tried it weeks. already. Yeah. On Dandatron, anything that is like over the counter, yeah. we've, we've tried it. You know, smell some nice calming essential oils. Oh, get out of here. Well, we've tried that, you know, <laughs> yeah. and every person's journey is different. Some people might find relief in that and that's great. That's wonderful. But let them decide, let them figure it out because we're sitting there, we're researching, we're trying to figure this out because it's unbearable. That's right. So, yep, final bit of advice for people outside of the experience. Yeah, just listen. Just listen. Offer to clean. Yeah. Do, you know, an act of service for them. That would be a much more better use of time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You're wasting time telling us to have ginger. And that pretty much wraps up episode one of the parent sesh. It was an easy topic to talk about, but we got through it. Yes. And we just want to say thank you so much for listening and being a part of this journey with us and moving forward and coming across all these new and different experiences. And definitely, as I said earlier, like hit us up on Instagram or Twitter and just tell us about your experience or ask us a question. We're more than happy to answer if we haven't given enough information on something. That's it. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in and we'll see you next week. See you next week.